Hi, and welcome to The Turbulent World with me, James M. Dorsey, as your host. History repeats itself. Palestinian airplane hijackings and attacks on Israeli civilians in Israel, as well as on Israeli and Jewish targets abroad, pockmarked the 1970s and 1980s. The violence put the Palestinian issue on the world agenda. The violence erupted, and at times was driven by fierce debate among Palestinian guerrilla leaders on whether to drop maximalist demands for replacing the state of Israel with a Palestinian-dominated secular democratic state and strive for a Palestinian state alongside Israel. It took the PLO 16 years to unambiguously accept Israel's existence and end armed resistance against Israel in 1988. The violence ebbed and flowed. It involved targeted assassinations of Israeli and Palestinian representatives and leaders in third countries. The 1982 shooting in London of the Israeli ambassador to Britain, Shlomo Agolf, sparked the Israeli invasion of Lebanon and forced Yasser Arafat's Palestine Liberation Organization to decamp from Lebanon to Tunisia. For much of the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, Israel refused to engage with the PLO, employing the same language it uses today about Hamas. To be sure, Hamas's October 7 attack on Israel upped the ante in scale and brutality. It has, again fitting a historic pattern, empowered the most extreme ultra-nationalist, ultra-religious elements on Israel's political spectrum and sparked a war involving indiscriminate bombing and punishment of a civilian population that Israel and Hamas will find difficult to live down. While the jury is out, the war has not halted a torturous process within Hamas, much like the equally torturous evolution within the PLO. Hamas's internal debate became evident with the adoption of its 2017 amended charter and is continued despite the war. There is no guarantee that Hamas will follow in the footsteps of the PLO. This week's presumably Israeli killing in Beirut of senior Hamas official Saleh al a 57-year-old co-founder of the group's military wing, the Izaldin al-Qasim Brigades, and deputy head of its political bureau, raises the specter of a renewed tit-for-tat Palestinian and Israeli killings in third countries with one difference. The assassination was the first time in 18 years that Israel struck militarily at the Lebanese capital. Mr. al-Aruri was widely viewed as a hardliner within Hamas, responsible for the group's military infrastructure in Lebanon and operations on the West Bank, where the group's popularity is on the rise because of the Gaza war and its contribution to a potentially burgeoning armed insurgency. Protests erupted on the West Bank in response to calls by Hamas for acts of resistance to protest the killing of Mr. Al-Aruri, a West Bank native, and several other Hamas operatives in the Beirut drone strike. 
a general strike closed down businesses. In August, Mr. Al-Aruri telegraphed Hamas's intentions long before the October 7 attack. A total war has become inevitable. We all consider it necessary. The resistance axis, the Palestinian people, and our nation, we want this total war. It is not just something we say in the media. We talk about it behind closed doors. We are discussing the different scenarios and possibilities, Mr. Alaruri told Al-Maidin TV. Last century's tit-for-tat killings of Palestinians targeted primarily PLO moderates, not hardliners, and were perpetrated not only by Israel, but also by Palestinian hardliners, like Abu Nidal, a renegade PLO operative. Israel has repeatedly warned that it will hunt down Hamas operatives wherever they are. In 2015, the U.S. State Department offered up to $5 million for information leading to the identification or location of Mr. Al-Aruri. Even so, Israel failed to notify the Biden administration of its plans to take out Mr. Al-Aruri, a sign it feared the U.S. would oppose the operation because it risked expanding the war beyond carefully calibrated hostilities on the Lebanese-Israeli border and in the Red Sea, as well as Israeli-Palestinian clashes in the West Bank. Complicating the fallout of Mr. Al-Aruri's death is the fact that Israel and Hamas are not the only players. Lebanese Shiite militia Hezbollah has vowed to retaliate for the killing of any representative of the Iranian-backed axis of resistance. That includes Hamas, the Yemeni Houthis, and Iraqi militias, alongside the Lebanese militia and the Islamic Republic. Hezbollah has been waging a war against Israel since October 7 to tie Israeli forces down on the Jewish state's northern border so that they cannot be deployed in Gaza without provoking an all-out conflict that could prove disastrous for Hezbollah and Lebanon. Mr. al-Aruri's killing puts Hezbollah between a rock and a hard place. It needs to find a way to be seen as living up to its vow, while ensuring the hostilities do not spin out of control. Many in Lebanon fear Hamas could drag the bankrupt country into a war they do not want. Last month, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu threatened on a visit to troops on the Lebanese border that Israel would single-handedly turn Beirut and South Lebanon, not far from here, into Gaza and Khan Yunis if Hezbollah started an all-out war. In a 90-minute speech to commemorate the fourth anniversary of the U.S. assassination of Iranian Revolutionary Guard Commander Qasem Soleimani, scheduled before Mr. Al-Aruri's killing, Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah referred only summarily to the Hamas leader's death. Much of his speech was an ode to Mr. Soleimani and Iran's role in supporting militias in Gaza, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and Yemen by funding, training, and arming them, enabling them to manufacture weaponry and creating the axis of resistance. Even so, Mr. Nasrallah insisted 
that Axis members independently take their own decisions and do not take orders from Iran. Clad in a black cloak and turban, Mr. Nasrallah praised Hamas's October 7 attack, with no mention of the group's targeting of civilians. He described the carnage reigned on Gaza by Israel in response as worth the sacrifice. The war succeeded in reviving the Palestinian cause, forcing nations across the world to look for solutions, Mr. Nasrallah said. Yet, the Hezbollah leader seemed to buy time by saying he would address the issue of Lebanon and Mr. Al-Aruri's killing in greater detail in another speech on Friday during a ceremony for a Hezbollah operative who died recently. At the same time, Mr. Nasrallah appeared to suggest that Hezbollah would retaliate for Mr. Al-Aruri's killing on the group's timeline, considering widespread Lebanese opposition to a war with Israel. Mr. Nasrallah warned, referring to Mr. Al-Aruri's killing in the Hezbollah stronghold in southern Beirut, that yesterday's crime is blatant. It is serious. The crime will not go unanswered. The battlefield is there. The knights are there. Yet, he also noted that we are taking the situation in Lebanon into account. Tellingly, Mr. Nasrallah seemed to back hardliners in Hamas's internal debate, arguing that Jewish attachment to the land was fabricated and that Israelis were fleeing the country because Israel was proven incapable of providing security, Mr. Nasrallah addressed Israelis directly, saying, Here, you don't have a future. The land of Palestine is for the Palestinians. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed today's column and podcast. The Turbulent World with James M. Dorsey depends on the support of its readers. For the past 12 years, I have maintained free distribution as a way of maximizing impact. I am determined to keep it that way. However, to avoid putting up a paywall, I need the support of a core of voluntary paid subscribers to cover the cost of producing the column and podcast. If you believe that the column and podcast add value to your understanding and that of the broader public, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. You can do so by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options. Thank you. Take care and best wishes for the new year. Thank you.